Caputo and the radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson. Fly ball deep left field. On Tigers Radio, 97-1, the ticket. Well, here we are. The Tigers making a trade this week. And, uh, gosh, you know, you got a lot of different things going on. And uh, since we talked last, uh, Tigers all of a sudden, no more Gregory Soto. Uh, you've got uh, Verling and Maton and Donnie Sands coming from Philadelphia. Boy, have I got a lot of questions. I'm sure you've got a lot of questions. <laughs> hey, Pat, who are these guys, uh, Dan? I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Uh, since I got a pretty good idea who these guys are, but uh, since you're the radio play-by-play <laughs> voice of the Tigers, who are these guys? I, I don't know. You know, you and I were just talking a moment ago. I think the moves that Scott Harris has made, I mean, first of all, they're, they're all kind of fitting the same blueprint that he talked about when he got the job. But almost every, well, every single player that he has added on the hitting side has fit the mold of guys who control the strike zone. That's usually reflected in a walk rate. Notice he never talks about walk rate. It's about controlling the strike zone, but that's usually reflected in the walk rate. And these are guys who all have shown that in the minor leagues, not yet at the major league level, but to pull off a trade for guys who are major league ready or have major league experience, and all three either had that experience or like in the case of Sands, Donnie Sands, very close to the major leagues, this is a really tough trade to pull off. And I, I think he did a really, just an excellent job getting a good return. I, I really felt like Soto was going to be traded. I had no idea what the market was and what you could get for Gregory Soto, even with three years of control. But I think there's no question that was the big piece that he could trade this winter. I think he did really well in the return. Matt Veerling is 26. Nick Maton is 25. He'll turn 26 in February. Donnie Sands is 26. All these guys, though, have those things that he talked about. The walk rate in the minor leagues, ability to drive the ball a little bit. Veerling's an excellent athlete. Great speed. Good in the corners, doesn't grade out as well in center field. Both of them, though, play infield and outfield. You've got a right-handed hitting outfielder, which they need, left-handed hitting infielder, but again, the position flexibility, I think this is something that we're going to see a lot this year with the young players. You're going to see some guys whose strength is hitting righties paired up with in a platoon with a righty who can hit lefties. And I I think they're really putting together some pieces now. This is how you rebuild a low-walk, high-strikeout, low-power, weak offense by getting guys who can command the strike zone, as he's talked about, and pass the baton and keep a rally going instead of just dying off. Well, I had somebody say, well, uh, you know, uh, Virlin was uh, minus 0.6 war. Analytically, this doesn't make sense. I, uh, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I got, you know, to explain it to fans, you know, you understand this. You and I both understand this because you understand which way the game's gone and everything. But uh, I understood that. But I also, you know, you got to understand that uh, the technology of the game trumps really what, uh, you know, the mathematicians have been doing for a number of years. They're both important. But the technology tells you a lot. It's not like old Smokey out there holding a, you know, a watch and, you know, a radar gun anymore. Everything's pretty definitive. And uh, with Veerling, uh, 20th best runner in Major League Baseball last year, uh, feet per second, uh, when he uh, aired it out. And uh, not so fast, home to first, you know, four or three. But uh, for a right-handed hitter, that's... Not unusual that, for a right-handed yeah, hitter. That's moving pretty well, too, you yeah. know. And so he's got athleticism. His uh, barrel rate 
was good, and his exit velocity and his maximum exit velocity were good. And uh, so he's got foot speed. Uh, the only metric that was in the technological element that was noticeably down in the bottom 5% was his jump rate. So to me, that's somebody with tools. Uh, this is somebody that I uh, remember, I believe he went to Notre Dame. He know, did. Uh, seeing him a little bit there. Uh, who has a lot of physical ability. And he obviously is somebody who's gone through one of the better baseball programs. You know, it got derailed in 2020 like every other prospect and came on. But to make a long story short, he does have long-range potential to be a, a Tiger for a while. And if they do turn the corner to be part of the reason why, and they have him under control for a while. So it's an upgrade. From what they had, uh, you know, in the past, he's definitely got a shot, you know, to be a long-term major leaguer, and he's played in big games. You know, he got into the postseason. He I hit think it. This is not a small thing to me. Yeah. So Scott Harris has, has talked about. I mean, this is the this is where the good general managers, presidents of baseball operations, this is where they shine. They're picking up players. They know the talent. They've evaluated the talent. But the really good ones know, and this is why I think, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how Dave Dombrowski is, you know, with his old-style ways still getting teams to the World Series. He has an ability to identify winning players. He just does. Kyle Schwarber, read about Kyle Schwarber and the impact he had on that team. And everybody was kind of laughing at that signing because of his defense. Kyle Schwarber is a winning player. And I think Scott Harris really is a guy who clearly does his homework to figure out what kind of player am I getting? Not just baseball skills. And he talked about what you just said. They were part of a winning team in Philadelphia. That was an incredible run the Phillies made down the stretch. Right. And they were a part of that. And they understand what it takes, as he said, what it sounds like <laughs> when you're in the ballpark, what it looks like when you're putting together a stretch like that. And they're going to bring those things he wants guys who want to be winners, whose only focus every day when they go to the ballpark is how am I going to win the game today? Well, it takes really, you have to dig a little bit to find out, is this that kind of guy? Or is this a guy who's just happy to put up numbers and that part doesn't really matter as much to him? Uh, Maton, I, I think that's pronouncing his name correct. Maton. Maton, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know less about, I didn't know about him in the college ranks. Uh, you know, heard his name before, have seen him play uh, very briefly, though. But uh, it's my understanding, I did talk to a person or two who's not connected with the Tigers on this, that he's an upgrade from, you know, Harold Castro, an upgrade from uh, Willie Castro. The he guys, can play on the infield. Yeah. He can and play infield pretty, and outfield, but he's good on the infield. And his metrics, uh, mathematically, uh, were very good. Uh, short sample size, 0.6 war, not so good on the technological aspect. You know, he's not overly fast. He doesn't hit the ball overly hard. Um, and he projects as a utility infield. Both these guys are 25 or 26. Right. So they're entering the time when they're about ready to be primetime players, if they're major league players. And it's hard to find guys, double A or above, who are basically major league ready. Uh, I know in the previous regime that was something that they tried to do instead of getting double A and uh, single A guys. It was hard to get that in a trade. And I personally, it's nothing against Soto, man. The guy's got a brilliant arm. And Dave Dombrowski loves 
power arms. <laughs> I mean, he was loves. like the perfect guy to trade with. Oh wasn't it? yeah, you, you throw a power arm in front of Dave, his eyes light up, man, like pinball machine, man. It's just like, oh, it's Christmas Day for him. But Soto, I didn't trust. Every time he got a lead, it was some kind of adventure. And, uh, you know, I don't know, his command issues or whatever. And certainly it was better than what he was expected to be as a prospect because nobody thought he would even have some success because of his lack of command. So you got to give him credit. He may turn out to be a great thing for them. But it's like Joe Jimenez. I didn't trust him either. Neither did A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch never put him in there with a lead. He was constantly trying to protect him. And, you know, for Joe's, uh, you know, fact that he had numbers, a lot of that had to be – because last year they didn't hold a lot of leads, and he got a lot of you know. You look at you look at his production with a leverage index below one oh, and above one. It's, it's two different pitchers. It's you know. but like you said, the Braves know that. But still, to get what they got for him, Justin Henry Malloy plus Higginbotham is a, a heck of a deal. And Justin Henry Malloy is somebody if it goes down to AAA, you know, which he probably is going to start, does have a chance, you know, to play for them this year and in the near future. Uh, you know, looking at him, I've watched a lot of at bats by now. I do like his live bat. I like the quickness of his bat. You know, his contact rate was good, and, you know, that's been described. But, you know, I, I rarely saw him. He's going to have to be, adjust the ability to expand the strike zone, you know, from certain type. He hits the ball too much to the left field. He's pull, pull happy, it looks to me. But if you give him a bad pitch, he'll hit it a mile. Here's the thing about when you're targeting all these players, and we're going to talk after the break about what the Tigers have subtracted and what they have added under Scott Harris when it comes to controlling the strike zone. But when you're, when you're adding guys and you're going to have a bunch of guys, you've still got scope and buy, as I know, but you're going to have a bunch of guys with above-average walk rates, either in the minor leagues or guys in the major leagues. Torkelson, above-average walk rate. Badu, above-average walk rate. And even though there might be some swing and miss, when you've put together this coaching staff, three new hitting coaches, and you give them something to work with, it is much easier to take a guy who has an idea of the strike zone and is not swinging out of the strike zone and chasing a lot That's and right. turn that hitter into a better hitter and cut down the strikeouts by being more selective than it is to take a free swinger and just try to get him back into the strike zone, much less be selective within the strike zone. And that's why no, I think you absolutely. built the hitting department first, and now you're adding players that they can work with. Well, you're absolutely right. I've talked about this a lot. The game looks slow when you're looking at the center field camera compared to what it is in real time. Uh, you know this because you're watching a lot of live pitches, but uh, you're sitting behind home plate, man. That ball's right on top of the plate. And uh, most hitters are guest hitters. And most hitters, you know, they they don't just swing for a home run. They'll get a pitch that's a little slower than they're anticipating, might have a little hang in it, and they'll get some lift on the ball. But for the most part, it's trying to barrel up the ball. And if you get a pitch that's a little bit off, then you might hit a home run. That's kind of the way it works. And uh, you can't make somebody have a real good eye at the plate. You can't teach that. That's either it's like foot speed or, you know, strength. You know, you can only enhance it so much, you know, and uh, that that's a situation where you're not really making it fair for your hitting coach to try to make uh, turn water into wine in those circumstances, <laughs> right. you know. It's like with Javi Baez. Javi Baez has played a lot. So Javi Baez knows that swinging at a pitch three feet outside is not you know, good for him. But it's really hard when he's up there and they're tempting he's him and he wants proof. to do it's, something. He, it's know? a veteran and he just can't change. And he won't. He's going to be who he is. And you live with it. 
you try to get him a little more in the strike zone. But his chase rate went up this year, and it was already way above league average. And, and hitters like Miggy, people think, well, why was Miggy so good? Miggy can recognize pitches later, you know, maybe a little past, you know, the the 23.9 uh, uh, feet from home plate about the pitch tunnel where you got to make a decision. He obviously can judge that a little bit later than some others. That's something that's God-given, if you want to use that term, compared to, hey, you can teach a guy to lay off pitches. At that level, it's not like when you're in high school and they're throwing 80 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, the, the change-ups are 90, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we got open lines, 248-539-9797. Eric Haas at 845 today, the Tigers catcher. Uh, boy, did he fight through things last year and turn it around. Turn it around and finish strong. Yeah, he uh, he's showing that he's a he's a long-term major leaguer here. Last year, that was impressive. We'll talk to him at 845. You're listening to Tiger Talk here on 97.1, the ticket. The 0-2, swinging a fly ball, left field, way back and left and gone. Javi Baez, no doubter. Got a breaking ball and did not miss. Tigers take a 5 nothing lead here in the fifth. That was Dan Dickerson, and, uh, yeah, Javi Baez will be different. <laughs> hey, at least he, he did finish strong. I, I I have seen where it's like, you know, from June something on, he was, wait a minute, he was extremely streaky over the last several months. But at least we saw the upside, and you understood why he swung at so many sliders, because when he finally zeroed in on hanging sliders, he could do damage, but he, he he's the hitter that they got. He's you know a low walk, high strikeout guy. He likes to swing. I look, all the different things. The he's going to be better. He will be better. And he was their most valuable player, as you pointed out last week. He will be better. Yeah, I think they, they have, you know, Scott Harris pulled no punches. He's like, he, he has to be better defensively. He knows it. He wants to be better. And we're working on it. Uh, there's two things with him. You know, above swinging outside, pitches like that are unbelievable and the throws into the dirt. I have no idea when he became Chuck Knobloch here. But I'll say this. If he hits a ball that looks like it's, you know, going to go out, run it out. That ball that hit on the wall and he got a single was awful. And there was a ball in Chicago where he didn't run it out and it just barely got over the fence. This is a guy who was running hard. I understand that. I understand that. First to third, don't look at it. I'm talking about on routine ground balls. This yes. guy was busting. He never. Oh, he did. Ever he ran the base. Did anything well. but run hard. But run hard on balls that are like that. I yep. thought that that was you know those moments like where they turned their back to the you know no more of that. All right, no more of that. <laughs> All right, no, no, You're no. You talking about the one in Kansas City that hit the hit the wall? Yes, there was one that he hit. It was supposed to go thirty feet over the fence, and the wind. I mean, it would have gone, and the wind just killed it. But he, he also had one that just got over against Chicago. Remember, he's in Chicago, and they were giving him the business. But I'm just saying, he played hard. He did. He, for the he did most part, I'm year. just saying, don't do that. <laughs> and, the, right. and the other thing Noted. is, I'll say this. Um, stop the stuff with Amir Garrett. All right? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that that that's just, you know, it's, it's putting yourself above the team. That whole thing is just stupid. It's not good for anybody. And uh, stop with things like that. That's what I would say. I get it that he's a pro and he understands the game and he understands his foil. Yeah, they're That's never going to face each other again, by the way. Yeah, well. Neither manager is going to let that happen. <laughs> there were several times this year. I know you saw it, and it never happened. Uh, I spent a little time yesterday looking at all the players that the Tigers have subtracted 
and th- those that have been added right. by Scott Harris. But I wanted to go back before I, I, I look at, at, at what he has done with the, a quote, a, a piece of the interview that I did with him on the last homestand, our first interview, uh, and he spoke at length about what he meant by hitters and pitchers who control the strike zone, and specifically in this case, hitters and all the things when you're building your roster and you have those guys on your roster that flow from that. Uh, we'll have to play that. Those way. are hitters that step in the box, confident that they know the strike zone and their own zones, and um, that they can uh, exhaust entire pitching staffs because they're not <laughs> willing to, you know, chase those pitchers' pitches out of the zone, or even, you know, roll over those, you know, sinkers that are commanded down in a way that are designed to induce soft contact. We want to find those players, and I think if we effectively dominate the strike zone on both sides of the ball. Um, we will uh, have an edge in every single game we play because, again, you know, many of the downstream effects involve load on players' bodies. We're exhausting pitchers on the other team. We're exhausting their defenders who are standing out there a, a little bit longer. We're forcing them to use more pitchers, which hopefully gives us access to the underbelly of their bullpen <laughs> by day three or day four of the series. There's so many downstream effects that are positive for us if we can achieve that goal of dominating the strike zone. Again, it's going to take a lot of work to get yeah. there, but uh, that's going to be our goal, and that's what we're going to build around. So think what he inherited. He inherited an offense that not just this year, but for the last five years, <laughs> collectively, this year and for the last five years, the Tigers are either 29th or 30th in strikeout rate, right. lowest walk rate, biggest chase rate, lowest power numbers. 29th or 30th, and oh, by the way, 30th in being able to hit a fastball. So to change that, that like he said, it's going to take a lot of work. So what has he subtracted? Over 1,600 plate appearances from four players, Candelario, Castro, Castro, and Reyes. 1,600 plate appearances this past year. Those guys had a combined walk rate of 4.5%. League averages eight. So four low walk guys, gone. 1,600 plate appearances. Every player that he has added, either in a waiver pickup or in a trade, has a walk rate that's above average either in the minor leagues or in the major leagues. And the guys who are coming back. So you've got Badu at 11%. Again, league average is eight. Torkelson's at 9%. I know there's work to be done, but you're starting with a guy who has an understanding of the strike zone. Jermaine Palacios, who had 400 in the Venezuelan Winter League, owed 9% walk rate. Andy Ibanez, 9%. Tyler Ludman, 12% in the major leagues. Justin Henry Malloy, 16% walk rate. Nick Maton, 9% walk rate in the major leagues, 11% in the minor leagues. Matt Veerling, 8% in the minor leagues, 11% is last year in the minor leagues, 6% in the major leagues, but that track record suggests that 6% can go up. Every single guy he has added. And again, he doesn't talk about walk rates. He talks about controlling the strike zone, but that's how it's reflected. And you heard about all the things that flow from that when you build an offense around guys like this. Right, I, I, and I think that's a great point. And, you know, the point to add to it is uh, you can't teach somebody strike zone discipline. You can only do it to a certain point. You can only do it to a point. So you have to look for players like that. Now, you don't have to go all money ball and, uh, you know, Billy Bean and look at on-base percentage and, you know, walk rate in the minor leagues and all those things. That didn't really work out so well for Billy Bean. If you go forward, uh, you know, as things went on, he had to adjust. But that there is a point to it. 
that goes along with it. And yeah, this, this isn't the and, only thing they're looking for, but it does speak to what he is looking for, the look, control of the strike zone. Actually, actually, that's a great point. And I'll throw this into the mix, why I don't think the offseason's been bad. Actually, I think it's been promising if you kind of understand what they have to do. You throw in Boyd, you throw in, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Michael the, Lorenzen. Lorenzen. You're talking about adding about. I would say that those guys at, at their age, they're about ready to pitch their best years, and uh, you you have them for one year. You don't. You're not extending them out for three years, and if you look at the data, all right, the data on of Erling, the data outstanding in addition to what you're talking about with the possibility. Uh, and if you look at Boyd, top 6% in spin rate, four-seam fastball. And uh, when you're talking about, you know, uh, what they're doing with Lorenzo, he is in the the same category, a top 18 for the seam fastball, both very athletic. So it wasn't done, you know, if you look at those different boxes, go to StatCast. You know, when they sign a player or look at it, you'll get a pretty good idea, a real good profile on exactly what the guy is. It isn't, you yeah, know, somebody like me breaking it down or scouts or, you yeah, know. You can see the red and the, the, and the blue right at the top of right the Right at the top. Page, where they it, rank in their percentiles. You know, and you'll get a real good idea. Good dashboard. You, yeah, you'll be surprised at it. You know, uh, it'll tell you more of a true pick. It's not the be-all, any all end-all like anything else. Right. But, you know, I but, can tell – that he is looking a little bit deeper and uh, beyond this. And this is the type of players that if you get them at the right time of their career can make your team better. As your team gets better one year, then you can do some things. Miggy's contract comes off after the year. They didn't spend any money foolishly right. this year. They're in a division where even they still get 13 games against your division. So you're in a division where you can do some things. Uh, because I don't think the other teams in the division are that good. White Sox have not really made many improvements. Royals aren't doing really anything. Twins lost Correa. They have not gotten better. No. Guardians are always going to be good under Terry Francona. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think there, there, there are possibilities in the Central. So you can move up a little bit more, and you got to play the game right. And what they've done, too, is they've given their manager players he can work with. Right. And their staff, you mentioned there's a lot of change on their staff. Which was necessary. It just part. It was necessary. Talking about their staff and you know, in training staff, all those things. You've given them something that you can actually work with. The versatility of the players, because Hinch has got a good feel for that. He does. He really does. And he, you, I guarantee you, he loves. You just got two guys who both play five or six positions, on the dirt, on the grass, in the outfield, and you're going to be pretty comfortable. Maytons look like he might be best at second base. But he's a second baseman shortstop, and Verling has played six positions in the major leagues, infield and outfield, everything but shortstop. That's a lot of flexibility. And I said last week, you know, there's no way Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, if they play full seasons in the major leagues, are going to combine for 13 home runs. That's not going to happen. They're going to hit home runs. And Carpenter has power. So they're you know, right there is some power. That's and you play be, him the right way, and that you'll probably get the most out of him. Right. And this gives you some versatility to play him the right way. And that's what I like about the deal. So we get to your phone calls coming up next. We have Eric Haas at 845. Phone calls coming up. Yeah. Tiger Talk. 97 won the ticket. <laughs> 
ball right field hit on a line going back and that's over the head of Dozier. Badu held up for a moment. He's going to be waved around third. Dozier gets the ball into Lopez throw home and not in time. Akil Badu just beat a perfect relay from Nicky Lopez to Melendez at the plate. And if the call stands, the Tigers have a three nothing lead. That was Dan Dickerson on the call. Let's get to your calls. 248-539-9797. We'll talk to Eric Haas, Tigers catcher at 845. And uh, Tom, you're on Tiger Talk on 97 won the ticket. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. How are you, Tom? Uh pretty good, Dan. Uh, okay, guys. Uh <laughs> Dan, uh you are the voice of Tigers baseball and and uh you know, I mean, who cannot love you, man? You the you the uh uh, um, those guys, and you're gonna put the best face forward for those guys. And Pat, I, I agree with a lot of things you say, but but man, this guy he comes in the town, man. He's a new sheriff in town. Uh, yes, Candelario, I, I can agree. He he had plenty of time. He needed to go. Uh, they they were pretty pathetic at the plate, but the, the little little bit of good that. Anybody was doing what the two uh, Castros and Reyes and uh, Cabrera somewhat hot whenever he could get, get in there and didn't have to share time with Barnhart. Uh, other than that, he didn't get anything from anybody. I, I don't understand why he got rid of those, those three guys. Okay, you guys got all the numbers in front of you, yes. But I'm just looking from my eye, those guys contributed. And if the guys that he's bringing in, are any better than those guys? Let those guys fight it out in spring training. Why are you cutting everybody? I, I don't get that guy. Uh, maybe, maybe me being just a uh, you know a fan out here looking. No, you know, you got to you Tom. Tom, you got to write to your opinion. And Hitton uh, Harold did slap a few base hits there once in a while, and Willie Castro had some moments, and uh, you know Victor Reyes, uh, the the traditional baseball numbers. Uh, you know, weren't always bad last year and all that. Uh, uh, Dan, you want to explain, uh, you know, why uh, you just can't keep everybody on the roster and well, uh, I mean, what the issue with those players were? I, I will if you won't. I'd start with 3.7, 3.7, 3.8. Those are the walk rates for Castro, Castro, and Reyes. I mean, if you're going to change the offensive identity, which Scott Harris said he was going to do, you have to start there. They've been given plenty of chances. They both, they all had 4-1, to 5-1 to one strikeouts to walks. Uh, it just and they'd fall into replacement level, and I, I, I've always said that you really have to judge, especially in the case of a Harold Castro, a super utility type, differently than a regular because they they really it's it's not always fair to judge them by you know wins above replacement when they're playing all over and they they're coming off the bench, and I think you have to give those guys you have to judge them a little bit differently. But I just think it was time for all of those guys. You had to move on from all of them. But it's it's all about low walks, high strikeouts, and commanding the strike zone. Well, and it's also it, it was time. There's no power there. Harold uh, Castro was uh, among the worst, if not the worst, fielder, regardless of position, in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, Willie Castro, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, the pet peeve I had is when a ball would be hit right at him. And he'd do like 18 circles, and then he'd catch the ball, and then fans would say, oh, man, what an athlete. Um, you know, uh, and he didn't improve his throwing arm last year, but uh, he was good in the outfield. I mean, I think he got better and better. Well, yeah, but good is relative to what, and they worked hard with him. 
And uh, Victor Reyes is kind of a stiff, non-powerful, 27, 28-year-old, you know, uh, 4A player. That's what he is. They took him in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, They tried it. Uh, The players that they got, I think, uh, you know, in these deals uh, will be better uh, than those They will all be upgrades. Yeah, in my opinion. And you only have 40 players on your roster. So yeah, and, you can't keep all of them on and, and say fight it out in the spring. You know, and I, I don't think, you know, the Mets, the Phillies, the Padres, the Dodgers, you know, all these teams that are spending all this money are going, man, we got we got to get Harold Castro because he had the coolest nickname in the world that you gave him. Getting Harold. <laughs> Pretty sure it wasn't me, but I'll take it. Sure. Well, come on, man. That was a great nickname. It was a great nickname. It was a great nickname. A great guy. He it never is. talked to anybody. But no, he, he did. He, he wouldn't was, talk to the was, media. He was beloved in the clubhouse. He was, but he wouldn't talk to the media. No, he would not. I don't know what but that he, was he, all he, about. he refused with a smile. You know, it was like the time the uh, Tigers had this guy, Mike Bromley, hit his only major league home run. We went over to talk to him, and he says, no comment. <laughs> No comment. No comment. Well, I'm mad at you guys because, you know, I was like, whoa, okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> Jeff, you're you're on Tiger Talk. What's up, buddy? How you doing, Pat? Good. Love you guys' show. Great topic, man. My thing is, with the Tigers, lifelong fan, 60 years old, you got to have bookends, man. you got to have an infield. If you can't convert double plays in the playoffs, you're going nowhere. It, it's you're not going anywhere. You got a guy. You got to have guys that can stretch out. Yeah, make double plays. I've seen the Tigers lose so many double plays this year. They were inning-ending double plays, and then they go on to score seven in the next inning. Come on, Pat. Can we get some infielders? Well, I think they're infield play. Jonathan Scope's an outstanding infielder. He was the best fielder regardless of position and outs above average in the technology, but he didn't hit a lick last year. He didn't hit a lick. You can plug and play some outfielders, but you can't plug and play infielders. These are everyday guys. I agree, with you, about the, I agree with you about the left side. Uh, you know, I saw enough. Of, yeah, these, they, look, you got to have – the biggest issue with the Tigers last year is that there were some expectations because they did so well the previous year. And what the reason they had to clean that out and rinse out that rag, you know, uh, <laughs> is because the players, the players that, you know, a lot was expected of, they got some rank and responsibility, folded. You know, the one exception actually is the player we're going to be talking to here, Eric Kossin, a little bit, because he got off to a rugged start. <laughs> But he battled his way through it. The rest of the guys, the rest of the players that they got rid of, the rest of them, they didn't do that. They just didn't you're, do it. You're right. You're right. And the pitchers right. that they got rid of, you couldn't give them, even though they got a lot real good stuff. In the case of Soto, it's electric. You couldn't trust them because, man, he started you're yanking right. balls into the dirt and all this stuff. One hundred. So I yeah, think I, I think Scott like, Harris probably looked at it, probably talked to Hinch if he was smart. I'm sure he's smart oh yeah, enough to do me. that. He knows who's going to be out there, and you got to get players who are going to show up when it matters. That's the bottom line. Agreed. Those guys, you know, they got a little bit of uh, ink, especially Candelario, and then all of a sudden he got paid for the for the first time in his career, and he did nothing. So you, gotta, you know, so you move on from that. The general manager got fired. This general manager doesn't want to get fired for that reason. 
Exactly. I, I agree. That's the, bottom line. That's the bottom line. Okay. It is. Good call, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Matt, you're on Tiger Talk. You handle the next one. Hey, fellas, how you guys doing? <laughs> good, Matt. How are you? Good, good. Appreciate what you guys do. But I got to say, Pat, I had a real problem with something you said about Baez earlier. Okay. Asking him to not argue with Garrett, asking him to not show that intensity, you're asking him to change his whole personality. That's who Javi Baez has been throughout his whole career. And honestly, I, we need more competitors like that on this team that, to, to get away that apathetic feel that we had all of last season. I have no problem with Javi arguing with Amir. Obviously, we have problems with him you know, chasing balls outside of the strike zone, but to ask him to change his personality or to change that fire that he plays with? I- uh, nobody's asking him to change his fire, but that the whole thing with Amir uh, Garrett is it actually hinders the club. You know, it's selfish. It's about him, not about the team and about winning games. So, I mean, it's just, it's just to me, is just, you know, petty, stupid. But on, but on the part of both players, very unprofessional. And uh, the situation not running out balls, you know, which he does. Dan pointed this out, and it's very accurate. He does run out balls. He is an excellent base Routine runner. Routine ground balls. Yeah, he, he, he runs it. hard. So, and, you know, throwing the ball in the dirt, that can happen where somebody's mechanics get off. that, by the way. And don't get me mechanics. wrong. I do like his tools and all those different things. And he's a pro. He's won a championship. So I'm not, I'm not thinking, you know, like this guy's a, you know, a total dog and whatever. But you can't do stuff like that, especially if you're the best player. You're the leader of the pack. Even as lousy as he was last year, he had a 2.4 war, baseball reference version. This is a talented right. player. So he's got to tighten it up and show some leadership because he's a veteran on that team. It's not like when he was on the Cubs and they had all kinds of different guys. Right. This is different. But but can we agree that when Javi Baez is playing, like when he was playing at the White Sox and hearing the chirps, when he's playing against Garrett and he's really fired up, it seems like that's when he's at his best. Oh, he re- those crowds in Chicago just absolutely brought out the best they did. in that this year. Did bring was, him out. It was yeah. hilarious. But the Amir Garrett <laughs> thing has nothing but to do with it. You know what? With... The Amir Garrett thing is never going to go anywhere. It, it just they're never going to face each other again. Right. <laughs> I right. Just exactly. don't think, and it's just it's a, it's a whole lot of nothing. It got built up a lot. Well, they, they, you know, it's we like, kept laughing about it. We look at our Bally Sports Monitor. Those guys do great work, but I was just laughing because they would they would start setting it up three batters ahead of time. Garrett's on the mound. Baez do a third, and you knew he wasn't going to face him. And he, he comes, never he did. Comes out like the four different times this year. <laughs> never happened, and it's never going to. Yeah. Well, it's a, <laughs> I just want to see, you know, uh, you Thanks, know this uh, immensely talented player, and he is. And he does have a love for the game and a passion for the game. Uh, that's obvious. Uh, to not to provide leadership. That's all. Uh, he, if he doesn't lead, who's going to lead? Anyway, coming up next, we'll talk to Eric Koss, Tiger Talk, here on 97.1 The Ticket. Isbell takes off, swinging a miss, throw on the second base, and they got him thanks to Javi Baez again. My goodness. A throw that bounced, he caught it, snow-coned it, and tagged out Cal Isbell for the second time tonight. That was a great highlight to play simply because one thing about Javi Baez, you've never seen anybody make tags like 
Amazing. He is amazing uh, that way. Speaking of amazing, a player who uh, has uh, caught the hearts of Tigers fans, a local guy, Dearborn Divine Child High School, <laughs> uh, Eric Haas joins us now, the Tigers catcher. And uh, how you doing, Eric? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Good. Good. You have good holidays with the family? Oh yeah, yeah. My kids are uh, our prime Christmas age, so it was uh, it was great. You know, it was busy, but it was all good. Kids good. had a great time. Good. Well, Eric, uh, we're, there's so many things to talk about, but um, I think one of the things that we haven't really talked about a lot, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. The Tigers, you know, going into the off season, Tucker Barnhart leaves. He was he got most of the catching duties this year. You you got more and more as the season went on. You had a terrific finish to the season. We'll talk about, but really. Uh, what kind of became clear as the winter went on is the Tigers were committed to you and Jake Rogers, who's coming back, but really you as, as the number one guy, it feels like going into this season. Is that kind of how you look at it? And I, how does that, I think that's, that's showing a lot of faith in you. And I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, I get along great with the staff, you know, that, that line of communication has been wide open. So that's been huge. And, um, you know, just kind of been um, doing what I do every, every off season is trying to, to, work hard obviously get as, as much training in as I possibly can and just show up to spring ready but um, you know it's definitely a little different coming in with um, just never really having like a roster spot before and always been kind of kind of earning it here and you know just scrapping for at bats here so I'm really excited to see you know how a uh, team looks coming in spring. You know you had a, a very good year in, in 2021 you established yourself to a degree as a major leaguer and then last year, after you hit that home run on that 97-mile-an-hour fastball when it was really cold outside, you, you slumped. You had a couple bad games in the field and everything. And everybody kind of went into a real funk. And you were the one guy, I thought, more than any other player, Eric, who grinded through that. And you talk about, you know, everybody can play whatever game it is when things are going well. When it wasn't going well, what was your mindset? And how did you keep yourself on track by the end of the year you were right back in form. Yeah, I know. Oh, we just say the same things in baseball. Obviously, the season's long. You know, it's a long season. You just hear that over and over. But, um, you know, that's just something that I've always known, you know, kind of all too well. Just, uh, you know, get off not too great of a start or whatnot, not playing every day, whatever the case may be. And then just as the season goes on, just, um, you know, still trusting that work, trying to stay healthy and um, searching for any opportunities or at-bats. And, you know, I've been uh, – pretty lucky with just kind of enduring some of those <laughs> those hard times not making them really hard times and you know it's kind of um you know bought me enough time here and there to um really feel like what I can do on the field Tigers have reshaped their hitting department completely and I, I'm kind of curious now last winter I couldn't even be on this show because I couldn't talk about anybody on the 40-man roster <laughs> <laughs> you guys couldn't communicate with coaches in the off yeah. season. So now you've got a completely retooled hitting department led by Michael Bedard, sounds like. Uh, but kind of everybody's bringing a little bit different uh, experience and knowledge to the table. Tell me, I mean, have you guys started to work with the new hitting coaches? And uh, what, is, what is that process like? And how important is that when you really didn't have that last winter? Yeah, it's huge. Um, just anytime, like I said, you can keep that kind of constant line of communication open. You know, I know exactly – um, what they're searching for, you know, what they might be expecting me to, to do the next coming year. So um, that's huge. But um, as far as the new hitting department, I think it's great. You know, I think it's going to be a good shakeup from um, what the organization has been used to in the past. And um, uh, 
most of our communication has been through uh, some group chats and some Zoom and stuff like that. But I've been just kind of hit the ground running with these guys and um, just be familiar with all the terminology and everything and just show up to spring and um, try to get on time and just, you know, kind of let them see um, what I'm trying to do in the box. And, you know, when they get a good feel for what I'm doing, when I'm going good, that, that's when the fun really starts. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. Your final two, uh, 250 at-bats, you had, you had 280, 820 OPS, nice power numbers. I remember talking to you in September, and you said that there's, especially in that five-for-five five game, we talked about you were just you knew that you couldn't do too much. And that I, I, and you hear that a lot, but is that one of the things you really felt like it kind of they clicked down the stretch and that you can take into next year kind of just really embracing, not just – you know, saying that I'm trying not to do too much, but really figuring out ways that you keep it simple and the numbers are so good down the stretch. Yeah, it's just tough. You know, when, when the ball club is, is just not playing good, you're, uh, everyone just kind of feels that, you know, anxiety. They feel that little pressure that they're putting on themselves and it just kind of snowballs at that point, you know, and um, no one's really a stranger to it. You saw a couple guys get hurt, a couple guys not hot at the right time hitting balls right at people. And then it was just like, you know, all the injuries and stuff with our pitching staff, it kind of went south in a hurry. But, um, you know, just kind of the guys that stayed in there and, um, you know, grinded out that long season there, there was still a lot of good to be had. And there's a lot of young guys that came up and got a lot of at-bats that don't normally happen in a season if you're necessarily winning. So, um, you know, there's there was a lot of opportunity to be had. Uh you were a seventh-round pick out of Divine Child, and most of the northern players, particularly the pitch, uh, non-pitching prospects, uh, they tend to go to college. And uh, mm-hmm. you decided to uh, sign professionally. One, uh, if you had to do it over again, would you sign professionally? And uh, two, uh, what about that dynamic? Do you think uh, baseball in this area, if you were advising uh, – you know, high school, a lot of kids from Orchard Lake, St. Mary's, for example, and some of these other schools, are they're going to college. They're, they're setting their bonuses so high that they won't get drafted. Uh, if you had to do it over again, what advice would you give those players? Because there's more and more players coming out of this area uh, than there was uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, every, uh, you know, obviously everyone's in a, a different scenario than I was, but I was 100% doing the exact same all over again. I mean, um, just being able to – um, at, at a very young age, you know, be living on my own and just the, the life lessons that I learned off the field ended up being, you know, a lot quicker than, than my uh, journey through the minor leagues. But, um, yeah, I would definitely do it all over again. And um, just to be in a professional setting and, you know, there's no, there's no bubble. There's really no one looking out for you. You're, you're a grown man expected to handle business. So, um, you know, I was really excited for that at, at a young age. Who was the, uh, the scout that signed you? Was it Chudlich? Was he still uh, with Cleveland then? No, it was um, Juni Melendez. Okay, there you go. So I'm just trying to check. I know Chudlich used to – he signed Smoltz and everything for the Tigers and worked. And you lived in Dearborn uh, where you went to uh, high school. So, But uh, you know, how does it feel to be here doing this? You know, I know you would have wanted to do it in Cleveland, but it's got to be special to establish yourself as a major leaguer wearing that old English D. Oh, for sure. You know, I feel extremely blessed to be able to put that uniform on. Um, it was really cool to um, experience a, a lifelong dream to play in the major leagues with Cleveland, but um, getting traded over here and kind of, um, you know, it feels like a, a completely different, you know, start to a, a different uh, just chapter of my career, I guess. But, you know, to obviously do it in Detroit has been special, and uh, especially for my family, it's been great. 
Eric, you know what it's like to struggle as a, as a young player and what those, I mean, you get little cups of coffee for three straight years and then finally got that good playing time in 2021. Can you just kind of describe some of the things that you saw Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green go through this year and some of the things that you might have helped them with and, and just what, for Tiger fans, what you still see as the upside because they obviously came up with a lot of attention, uh, a lot of promise. The promise is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. But what you saw and what you think the future holds for those two players. Yeah, I think we just put, you know, unfair um, expectations on those guys at such a young age. And I think that the game is getting a little younger and younger, but the, you know, the generational talents that you see, you know, it's just, uh, it's so hard to pick those guys out. And of course they have the talent to do it. And um, obviously where they were picked in the draft and all all the research that goes into that, but um, you know, especially the the numbers they put up in the minor leagues, but um, you know, when you ask you know, Torque to step in and try to fill Miggy's shoes in a rookie year, that's that's a lot going on. So, um, you know, we all believe in them. We know they can do it. We've seen them do it. And uh, I think it's just a matter of time. You said you wanted the fences to come in. You want the fences to come in? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not sure there's, you're ever going to get a hitter to say, nah, keep them right where they are. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, um, it, it does help our pitching staff. There's no doubt about it, but – um, it just as an offense, it, it felt like it really just deflated us last year. Um, you know, you just don't feel like you're being rewarded for anything. You know, with the shifting, it's it's already hard enough. And then if you're, you know, not having power numbers that go along with it, but you're still impacting the baseball, like you should be having power numbers. That's that's really challenging. And then you start trying to, you know, get outside yourself. You start trying to produce a little bit too much. And you know, that's obviously what we alluded to earlier in the conversation. Yeah, the one thing about your skill set, you run very well, uh, for regardless of the position, uh, and you have power. I'm just curious, why catcher? You always been a catcher, or did you play other positions? Uh, grow up playing mostly left side of the infield. Um, I did catch a little bit. I always liked catching. It just, um, you know, whatever it was, I normally played short or third base, and um, was just super comfortable there. And um, then when I was drafted, Cleveland only wanted me to catch, so. That's what I did, and um, not, it wasn't until I got here that I started playing a little bit of left field, but um, catching just kind of became my one love, and um, obviously the relationship I had with all the pitchers and uh, just working with the coaches and the game prep, everything has just been a whole other you know layer to it that I've come to love. Speaking of relationships with pitchers, Matthew Boyd is back. Certainly always one of the most popular players in that clubhouse and the talent we know about. Just describe uh, what that means for – I mean – Obviously, you're going to love having him back, but what that means for this team in 2023? Yeah, Matt's just a great person, you know, and he's played on you know, some of these really, really good teams. He's part of the playoff team last year with the Mariners. You know, he obviously brings a ton of experience, and uh, he's just a, a great veteran presence to have in there. You know, it's like there's really um, nothing goes unsaid. You know, he's, he's just you know it's coming from a great place. If you have any questions at all, he's probably – he knows it or he know he knows somebody that does know it. So it's just I think it's gonna be a great resource for some of these younger guys, especially some of these uh these younger guys on the pitching staff and what it takes to, you know, throw a whole season healthy, you know, year after year after year and you know, hopefully we can kinda of make that adjustment going forward and you know, have a good core. Eric, we appreciate it. Uh, good luck in, in the uh, upcoming season. Awesome. Thanks guys, I appreciate it. There you go. That Thanks, was Eric. Eric Haas. A good story. Pitchers and catchers report just yeah. a few weeks. He'll be, he'll be out there uh, <laughs> catching a little bit of Matthew Boyd out That's there. That's right. On the uh, mounds of Tiger Town.
stuff. That's always good. When you, you just see the guys out there one after another lined up, and you hear that pop, 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 pop. That's a great sound. That's a isn't great it? sound. Baseball has great sounds, <laughs> no question. Dan enjoyed it as always. All right, fastest hour on radio. We'll see you next week. Yeah, that's right. And I'll be coming up next talking about them lions. Uh, this is Tiger Talk at ninety-seven. One the ticket.